So before getting the sermon, let me just warn you. I preached at the 8.30 service, and I ended five minutes early. So you guys are probably going to get an extra five minutes, okay? I got I to gotta hit my quota, so you guys, got, you guys are going to get a little extra probably. Well, I have to tell you, I could not be more excited to preach this sermon. Because when you look at this scripture from 1 Samuel, it has to be one of the craziest stories in the Bible, in my opinion. In fact, what you heard is not even the crazy part, okay? We're going to get into that here in just a moment. What you heard was just, a, just a, an inkling of the craziness that's going to happen uh, in the first half of 1 Samuel. This is hard to believe. I think for most people, how many of you, that was the first time you'd heard that text? It's okay, be honest. We love you. All right, yeah, right? When I read that for the first time, I literally pushed back from the table and was like, that happened? What? That really happened? And I want to be clear that in my opinion, the opinion of the pastoral team, the answer is yes. Yes, that happened. We said last week, and we're going to continue to say that we wrote these sermons on these, these crazy stories, many of them from the Old Testament, and we wanted to be clear that we actually believe they happen. They aren't myth. They aren't manipulated. Uh, they aren't just some kind of wacky story to, to prove some obscure point. We believe that God was actually moving and working and accomplishing some crazy things in these that-happened stories. Now, like I said, you're in for a ride today, so I want to give you a, just a little inside a little clue of what you're in for and the clue is the sermon title i don't know how many you've already looked in the bulletin but our sermon title for today is secrets soothsayers and seances now if you don't believe that a whole bunch of pastors came up with that sermon title then you've never heard a sermon title before we love alliteration we love it when they all start with the same letter so uh, that we knocked it out of the park on that one if i do say so myself so secrets soothsayers and seances. Let's, let's, let's buckle in, let's get ready, and let's just dive deep into this that happened story from the Old Testament. Now, as I said before, the, the value of this story comes not from how crazy and outlandish and just amazing it is. Uh, if, it, if that's all it is, it doesn't have much value for us. The value comes when we can take this story where God did something unexpected and unexplainable and hard to fathom, and it actually benefits us personally. We're able to pull some type of application, something that is going to empower us, challenge us, convict us to be more Christ-like. And so in order to do that with this story, we need a little bit of context, okay? So I want to give you a little bit of context so we kind of know where we're going. So let's go back and, and read. It says, now Samuel had died and all Israel mourned for him and buried him in Ramah. Now, if you remember, Samuel the prophet was an amazing man of God, an amazing leader who helped really establish the nation of Israel during the time of the judges. That's when he served and right before Israel had a king. Now, <clears throat> an important thing for you to acknowledge in this text is that Israel wanted a king. They ignored the fact that their father, their creator, their rescuer who, who rescued them from Egypt wanted to be their king. But what Israel did is they looked around at the nations around them and they said, huh, all these nations around us, they have a man as their king. They don't have to depend on a God to talk to them. They can, just, they can see their king. They can touch their king. They can, 
they can observe who he is and what he's doing. And so they actually went to Samuel and demanded Samuel appoint a king over them. And in doing that, what they were doing is they were rejecting the rightful king, God the Father, from ruling their life. They said, we don't want you to be our king. We want a man to be appointed over us as king. We're not going to trust you to lead. We want to trust a man to lead. So they demanded uh, that Samuel appoint a king over them. Now, I want to be clear here that the prophet Samuel did not like that idea. Okay, you can go back and read, we're not going to go into it, but he went into excruciating detail how bad it was going to be if Israel appointed a king over them. He told them things like, the king is going to take your grain, and he's going to take uh, what the fruit of the land produces. He's going to take your, ch- your children and put your, me- your, your sons into his army to fight his battles. He wanted to really kind of talk the nation of Israel out of this really bad decision. So of course... The nation of Israel humbled themselves before Samuel and said, we repent. We would, we, we would never do that. We want to trust God to be our king. Right? No, that would be a really short sermon. Uh, and I would never meet my quota. So we're going to keep going because that's not what happened. They completely ignored these warnings of Samuel. And they said, no, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations around us. So they demanded a king. And so really, God, in an act of graciousness, and I would venture to say in an act of humility on God's part, he allowed Samuel to appoint a king over the nation that God the Father actually wanted to rule over. And that first king's name was King Saul. Now, Saul and Samuel, they had this kind of odd couple relationship uh, where Saul depended on Samuel constantly. To tell him what to do. And so Samuel would seek the Lord. He would get wisdom from the Lord. He would go to Saul and he would say, Saul, this is what you need to do as the king of of Israel. And Saul would just ignore it. And do what he wanted to do. Do what he thought was right. And many times that rebellion against God's wisdom and God's leadership led to, to horrible and dire consequences. So here's where we get to our text for today, okay? We're we're caught up. We've got context. Samuel has died. Israel is mourning for him. And right after that, the text says that the Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shinnom. Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. So the dreaded enemy of Israel has come to make war with Saul and the nation of Israel right after the death of this prophet. So they're facing off, and to give you a little bit of a picture of what's going on here, the Philistines, they're in this big valley, this big, deep valley called the Jezreel Valley, and they have their army spread out everywhere. And so Saul brings his army, and he camps on this small mountain just to the south called Gilboa. And so Saul has this amazing viewpoint of the ensuing battle. And let me just tell you, Saul did not like what he saw. I just want you to imagine, try to put yourself in Saul's shoes. He's standing on this small mountain and he looks out in this valley to thousands of men, trained men, whose intent and purpose for being there was to overthrow his nation and kill him and remove him as king. Not a great view. In fact, the the scripture tells us that Saul's heart trembled in him. 
He knew that he was in trouble. He knew things didn't look good. It was obvious and clear to Saul that he was in dire straits. So what does Saul do? He does what any faithful follower of Yahweh would do. He prays. He does what we would do. He, he prayed and he inquired of the Lord. He, he begged God to give him some clues. He asked God, should I attack? Should I retreat? Should we try to flank them from the left? Should we use chariots? What should we do? And the text tells us that when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. Not by dreams, not by Urim, not by prophets. Now I want you to be real honest with yourself. Have you ever been there? Have you ever stood on a small mountain and looked at your life and you saw dire straits moving your way? You saw difficult circumstances, you saw pain, you saw disappointment, uh, you saw uh, loss and confusion. And so you called out to God and, and you begged God for insight and you begged God to speak to you and you only got silence. I've been there. It's not a, not a good or fun, enjoyable place to be. So here's, here's my first word of advice for you. You need to decide before you face those circumstances what you're going to do. You need to decide before the dire circumstances, before the army marches before you, before uh, you're in that, that, that moment where you don't know what to do and God is silenced. You need to decide where your loyalty is going to remain, where your commitment is going to be invested in before those circumstances march upon you. Because if not, you run a high risk of making a similar mistake that King Saul did. Because Saul is desperate. And it's interesting that, that Saul tries all means accessible to him to hear from God. He prays. Uh, he's hoping that maybe God will give him a dream like he did. The, ans the ancestors like Abraham. He uses the Urim. You guys know what the Urim is? Raise your hand if you know what the Urim is. Okay, you're in good company because I don't either, okay? It's, it, it's really vague what the Urim is, okay? Here, let me tell you what we do know. Uh, what we actually know is that it was some small object that was worn on the breastplate of the high priest. Uh, and there were actually two objects, okay? There was the Urim and the Thummim. Uh, both of these small objects were used by the high priest in a way that we don't quite understand to discern God's will or to determine guilt or innocence, okay? So uh, Saul is pulling out all the stops, okay? He's trying all the tricks to get God to speak to him. In fact, even Saul inquires of the prophets, and there's a small problem with that. See, earlier in the text, we find out that in a fit of rage and anger, Saul gets mad and has all the prophets killed. <laughs> right? So all the, all the prophets that would have been loyal and faithful to God and, and maybe heard from God and discerned and spoke wisdom to Saul, he killed. So that option is unfortunately, off the table. This is the situation that Saul finds himself in. His trusted advisors are dead. God will not speak to Saul. And actually, unfortunately, God had already spoken to Saul. Let me be clear about that. But Saul didn't like the answer. That's important to remember here in a moment. He didn't like the answer, so he's looking for another answer. This is where Saul goes from bad to worse. This is where he's, his, his decision-making 
gets even worse and even darker. It says in the text that he, he told his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, so that I may go to her and inquire of her. His servants said to him, There is a medium at Endor. Now earlier we read that Saul was actually right and faithful in banning all mediums from Israel. And that was a good thing because the law actually states clearly that God's people should not consult or seek wisdom from mediums or soothsayers. But Paul is desperate. Can we just all agree how easy it is to make bad decisions when we're desperate? Right? When, when we don't know what's going to happen, when we can't figure out what we're going to do, when we don't feel like God is speaking to us, or we don't feel like God is telling us what we want to hear, it's so easy to make bad decisions when we're desperate. Saul says, find me a soothsayer, a necromancer, a person who can talk to spirits. Now, Saul knew that the word was out that he had cast all these people out of the nation. So he actually disguises himself and he secretly goes to Endor to consult this medium at night. And do you, knew, do you know what he asks her? This is where it gets a little more crazy. He says, he wants her to conjure up the spirit of Samuel the prophet so that he can speak to his dead friend. Now, we just agreed that it's easy to make bad decisions when you're desperate. But I'm going to venture a guess that none of us have been so desperate that we thought, you know what would help a zombie? If I could just talk to a zombie, I just feel like I would know what to do, Right? I mean, if you have said that, don't raise your hand. You'll end up on somebody's prayer list. It's just, don't, don't do that, okay? Just know that that's a bad idea. It's not going to help. And we're going to find out here that it's not going to help. So Saul goes to this medium, uh, and the medium actually protests. She says, uh, you know that the king Saul has banned all mediums and wizards from the land. You're trying to trap me and get me killed. But Saul, in disguise, he actually is able to convince her uh, to conjure up uh, the spirit of Samuel. And here's the amazing thing, okay? Now, remember, we believe this is true. This happened. The spirit of Samuel is awakened, is awakened. Now, here's where it gets real interesting. When you read the text, you can read it for yourself. It's later on from our, our scripture for today. We get the sense that this medium was a huckster or a trickster. She like kind of manipulated people and, and tricked people uh, into believing that she could contact spirits. Because when the spirit of Samuel rises, she loses it. She starts... <laughs> panicking. She starts stuttering. Right? She's just like, she realizes that Samuel has risen from the dead and she didn't know how to do it. And then she looks and she realizes that Saul the king is sitting in her midst and that she just broke the rules in front of the guy who made the rules. Okay? So panic has broke out in this tent or wherever they're at. And Saul somehow convinces her to quiet down and not be afraid. He's like, listen, I'm the king. I'll do you a solid. You did me a solid. He gets her to calm down. But in, his, but in Saul's desperation, he asks the medium, what do you see? And the text says that Samuel, the spirit of Samuel, begins to speak to Saul. And this is what the spirit of Samuel says. Why are you disturbing me and bringing me up? So Saul says, I need you to tell me what to do. 
Now, in saying that, Saul is also saying, hey, Samuel, the spirit, uh, go ahead and ignore the fact that uh, there is a medium standing here and that there's a seance going on. Go ahead and ignore the fact that I've disobeyed God for years. Go ahead and ignore the fact that I tried to kill David, who is really the anointed heir to the throne. Go ahead and ignore the fact that I was supposed to get rid of the Philistines a long, long time ago. Go ahead and ignore all that, and could you do me a favor and just tell me what to do? And I love this is, this, is a, this is an epic biblical burn, okay? I love how the, the prophet Samuel replies. Samuel said, why then do you ask me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? Burn! You know why that's a burn? Because that's what Samuel told Saul when he was alive. So Saul went to all the trouble to conjure up the zombie of Samuel only to get chewed out in the same way that he got chewed out while Samuel was still alive. Saul can't win. He can't win. But let's keep reading. We get an answer to why God has become the enemy of Saul. In 1 Samuel 28, 18, it says, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord. And what's more, Samuel goes on to tell Saul that, that in this ensuing battle with the Philistines, that Saul and his sons would be killed. And that happened. They were killed. Now, that is a crazy story. But it's just a crazy story unless there's some wisdom that we can pull from it to help us be more Christ-like. Because that's, that's, our, that's our mission, right? To become disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. You guys remember that? That's our mission. That's our purpose. So what can we pull from this? Well, I think first and foremost, the first thing that we should be asking ourselves is, uh, where do you turn in crisis? Or a better question is, what spirits will you listen to when hardships come? See, that's important because hardships are going to come. Hardships are unavoidable. Pain, uh, disappointment, loss, those are all things that we're going to face. But as we said before, when, when crisis happens and you're desperate, if you have not made a decision where your loyalty is going to remain, it is going to be so easy to make a bad decision. It's going to be so easy to pledge your loyalty to something that's going to give you a little bit of temporary relief but cause a lifetime of pain. It's going to be so easy unless you've decided in advance who you're going to be remaining faithful to. Because see, here's the thing you need to know about, about Saul. This is my opinion. Saul had no interest in being faithful to the Lord. He had no interest in being faithful to the Lord. He was only interested in finding whatever means possible to get him out of the circumstance that his unfaithfulness caused. All he wanted to do, he didn't care what rules he had to break. He didn't care who he had to be faithful to or how, bad, how much he had to sneak around. As long as whoever was talking to him gave him a way to get out of the circumstance that he caused, he would be loyal to that to the extent of breaking his own rules, going and seeking a, a medium and, and having someone raised from the dead. What spirits are you going to listen to when hardships come? What, what, what are you going to remain loyal to? Because here's what we need to understand. The, the Bible bans the use of magic and consulting mediums, but it never says that it bans it because it doesn't work. You realize that? 
It never says, don't consult mediums or don't try to access the spiritual world because you can't do that. It bans it because uh, it puts us in a mess and it violates the loyalty that we claim to have to the Lord. Because see, there is a spiritual world out there. We talked about this last week in the words of Paul that our battles are not against flesh and blood but against the spiritual forces in this present darkness, right? There's this, there's this spiritual battle and we need to remain loyal to the Lord our God in order to survive. See, God bans the use of magic and mediums and astrology because it's rebellion. It's rebellion against seeking God in his truth and his wisdom and his timing. But Saul was closing his eyes to all that. He just wanted rescue from the circumstance that his unfaithfulness created. Now, I want to be clear about something. There might be a few people in here sweating a little more profusely. If you regularly attend like children's birthday parties and like pull rabbits out of hats and things like that, that's not the magic we're talking about, okay? You're safe, you're good. We can still be friends. What we're talking about is using unrighteous means to access the spiritual realm to get guidance or know-how for our life. And God says we shouldn't do that. In fact, he, he bans that, he condemns that. But I think that this, the second issue that, that we need to talk about is who do you go to? Because I think it's easy for us as Christians to be like, what was Samuel thinking, right? Who brings up a zombie to fix their problems? We, we, we typically don't do that. If you do, you can talk to me later and we'll pray and talk about that. But we do, we do a similar thing. We pledge our loyalty to someone else when dire straits come, right? Right? How many of us, when we don't know what to do or we're stressed out or we feel like an army's marching against us, we get this thing and we just kind of wave our hand in front of it, thinking that if we wave our hand in front of it long enough, it'll make us feel better or give us some insight? This is the magic that we practice. Or some of us, we, we don't do this, uh, but we go to our other idol named Amazon and we make great financial sacrifices to Amazon thinking that if we make a big enough sacrifice that it'll make us feel better and it'll help us in our circumstances. Tuck your toes under your chairs, people. Tuck your toes under your chairs, okay? Or, or we've got this idol named Job and if we'll dedicate all of our life to it, even the, life, the, the hours that we're supposed to be with our family, the hours that God commands us to rest, if we'll give all of our hours and all of our dedication to this thing called job, that'll make us feel better. And that'll rescue us from the circumstances that we created. But unfortunately, the same thing happens to us that happened to Saul. We give all of our commitment and all of our loyalty and we pledge all of our, our, our rights and privileges to these idols and it makes our situation so much worse. And we're worse than we were before. So I want to I caution you. And I, listen, those were my three favorite idols, okay? I'm, not, I'm, I'm preaching to myself. The, those idols were easy to come up with, okay? Because they're mine. You've got to decide. 
You have an opportunity today to decide. I will be loyal to the Lord, my King, no matter what I face. I will not commit my loyalty to anything else. Whether he's silent or whether he speaks boldly, whether the circumstances are easy or they're hard, I will remain loyal to my king because my king has remained loyal to me. Because that's what we miss in this story. That's what Saul missed. The Lord was consistently loyal to Saul. Every time he needed guidance and and know-how, God spoke through the prophet Samuel, but Saul chose to ignore it. So it got to the point, why would the Lord speak? Because Saul's not interested in being faithful to the Lord. He's interested in getting himself out of the circumstances that his unfaithfulness created. So my next step for you today is to decide. This is your opportunity. You cannot wait to when times are desperate. You cannot wait until you're standing and you see the the army marching upon you. You have to decide in advance. Who will you be loyal to? What spirit will you seek out? What, What source of truth and wisdom will you pursue? When death comes come, because they will come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you are loyal even when we're not. I thank you, Father, that you are faithful and trustworthy and that you are speaking and that you are pursuing us. And you desire peace for us. You are a faithful king. And it is a tragedy that we so easily pledge our allegiance. It's a tragedy that I so easily pledge my allegiance to a phone to a web source, to a job, when you are faithfully making yourself available to me, you're standing beside me. I pray that we would all pledge our allegiance to you and make you the sole source of our strength, our wisdom, and our hope. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.